They taste like energy drinks, but pack a wallop in terms of alcohol content. Supersized Alcopops are sending young people to the emergency rooms. With the details, once again, here's InfoTrack's Roy Mackey. Roy? Thanks again, Chris. Dr. Matthew Rossheim is an assistant professor in the Department of Global and Community Health at George Mason University. Professor, you were studying the dangers of something called supersized Alcopops. For those of us who aren't familiar with them, what are Alcopops? Supersized Alcopops are ready-to-drink alcohol products that taste like energy drink and they're packaged like energy drink, but they can contain a lot of alcohol, up to five and a half standard alcoholic drinks in one single serving can. Wow. Perhaps we can all guess, but what is the prime demographic target for a product like this? Well, it appears like their marketing is towards young people, and a lot of the research that we've conducted on the area has found that Underage young people often consume these products and end up experiencing negative alcohol-related consequences like blacking out or vomiting. Your study looked at calls to U.S. poison control centers relating to these Alcopops. What did you find? We used the National Poison Data System Repository of Calls to U.S. Poison Control Centers over the last decade, so between 2010 and 2019. And we found that the calls for supersized Alcopops are really different from calls for other alcohol products in that they involve a lot more underage consumers. So nearly one half of the calls involving supersized Alcopop consumption to these U.S. poison control centers were for consumers who were below the legal age to drink. Your study also notes that some particularly young children have been affected by this. Yeah, so what we found for the very young consumers who were calling is that the vast majority, more than 90% of the calls for children 11 years and younger, were unintentional exposure, which suggests that whether it's their flavoring or just the appearance of the can, consumers are probably not understanding how much alcohol is in them, and some young consumers might not even realize that there's alcohol in them at all. How would you compare this problem to something that I think is probably more traditional, like college binge drinking, for example? How serious is this in relation to something like that? Well, these products are essentially binge drinking in one can. If someone drinks this product, they're essentially binge drinking uh, if they just consume one of them. So I would say that this represents an especially dangerous form of binge drinking because people don't seem to recognize how much alcohol they're consuming because it doesn't taste like alcohol and it's not clearly labeled. And people are rapidly consuming them. There's social media videos of people drinking two or three of them within a couple of minutes. And it seems like it's a phenomenon among young people. So there's been clinical observations with people in pediatric emergency departments with blood alcohol concentrations as high as 0.4 grams per deciliter, which the per se legal driving limit for adults is 0.08. And the LD50 or lethal dose for about half of the U.S. population is around a 0.45. So it could be a lethal dose of alcohol from just consuming two or three cans of these products which they could get at a gas station or convenience store for $10. How long have these been available? They've been available in the U.S. market since around 2008. There was a lot of hype around 2010 when they contained caffeine in them, these alcoholic energy drinks. Some people might remember the buzz about some of the popular brands of these products needing to remove their caffeine. So they no longer contain caffeine, gorin, taurine, but they still contain even more alcohol now than they did back in 2010, 2011. 
Some of these products now have up to 14% alcohol by volume, and they're sold in about 24-ounce cans, so they can have about five and a half standard alcoholic drinks in one single-serving can. Presumably, this would have to happen on a state-by-state level, but what changes in regulations and policies would you like to see to address this problem? At the state level, there are states that can better regulate these products, whether it's their price or retail availability. But even at the local level, there's a lot that local communities can do, depending on the level of state preemption. So some localities might be able to outright regulate these products or density of retailers. Others might be able to regulate it different ways through things like zoning or enforcement of nuisance laws. But it's important that communities look into how much of an issue these products are and whether they're associated with things like crime in their communities. And to once they conduct those assessments, figure out, given the preemption of alcohol regulation at the state level, what's possible for them to do at the local level to meaningfully regulate these products. Professor Matthew Rossheim from George Mason University, thank you very much for shedding some light on this. Thank you. And for InfoTrack, I'm Roy Mackey. And that wraps up this week's show. InfoTrack's executive producer is Randy Meyer, and I'm Chris Whitting. Our internet services are provided by Pear.com. Thanks for listening. We hope you'll be here next week for another edition of InfoTrack.